Okay, so hello everyone and welcome to the NP Studio. Today we have with us a very special guest. Um, he's a Forbes 30 under 30 um, recipient. Uh, his name is Ani Mohan. So Ani here um, is, is an extremely sort of like decorated individual. He is currently serving as an on-deck fellow um, and uh, he's the founder of one of a, like a really popular platform. It's called Game Snacks, uh, which is a gaming platform with millions of users or players every month. And uh, what it does is it provides you with 100 plus bite size instantly playable games um, and it's been funded by area 120 which is again a really popular you know we see fund um, Ani has served as a product manager at google and dropbox and android and brings with him a wealth of experiences that um, you know would love to talk about so starting the conversation Ani, um just want to know how did it feel like when you heard that you were getting like you you know you were going to be a part of uh, forbes 30 under 30 for 2021 well, first of all, no, thank you for the extremely kind and far too flattering introduction. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the Forbes thing was was a bit of a surprise, to be honest. Um, I, uh, you know, I've been I've been tracking the list for a few years and, and knew some folks were on it, but it hadn't really been too much on my radar. And um, you know, sometimes I still feel skittish about lists like that. But I'll be I'll be lying if I say uh, I also wasn't excited and. It was uh, it was good more than anything to to notice that other people were were paying attention to what it is that we were building uh, at GameSnacks and that uh, they found it worthy of of mention. That's awesome. Um, no, that's great. And I I'm, I've always been like really inquisitive to learn about this, but like what what is the internal process look like? I mean, as much as you can share. Like, so do you, do you just get an email out of the blue, or does someone call you, or like how, how does that process work? And then what happens after that? If you can just throw some light on your experiences there. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the process is pretty pretty lightweight from my end. Uh, there's an initial stage where uh, folks can can nominate um, other people for for being on the list and. And I think a few of, few of my mentors and people I've worked with on the past uh, submitted nominations. And then I got uh, an email a couple months after that uh, to fill out a form, just explaining kind of what it is that, uh, that I do and a little bit about Game Snacks and a bit about my background. And then didn't, didn't hear from them again for another couple months until, you know, on the, the day that the list was announced, uh, I got an right. email in the morning. Oh. I found out literally the same day. <laughs> it, was, it was public right now. So it was... Uh, it was, it was a wonderful surprise. Um, uh, and yeah, wow. so that was back in, in December of 2020. Wow, wow. And, and just to throw some light again, so uh, I'm, I'm sure I think everyone knows what Forbes 30 under 30 is, but what are the, um, what happens after? Like now that you're part of this group, um, if you can name a few people or, or maybe just like share a few experiences of what happened after you, you know, you got in, was there an event or like what's, what's the network like now looking for you? Yeah, so part of it, I mean, I think it was an atypical year because it's, it's COVID and uh, everyone's still still sheltering in place. Uh, but typically, I think what's happened in the past is there's uh, an in-person event where all of the, the um, honorees get together and uh, get to meet each other and hear from Forbes and uh, you know, hear from a bunch of amazing speakers. We had a virtual version of that um, this year. Um, so, so there was that. Um, then I uh, kind of my favorite part has really been getting to know some of the other folks um, who are nice. on the list. Uh, I think it's, it's less about, again, being on the list, but more it's, I think, just a cool context and opportunity to meet, meet people from, from many different industries and mm -hmm. from a wealth of different experiences. And so 
I was I was named to the gaming list, but um, you know I'm interested in all sorts of stuff. So so my favorite part has been getting to sort of meet people from um, some of the other categories like politics, like uh, like clean energy, like um, like media and things like that. That's awesome. That's um, I mean, yeah, it just speaks to such a wealth of experiences that you can get just by being a part of, you know, uh, an organization that offers you a great pool of resources and people to network with. Um, that's awesome. Um, I was also really, really interested in learning about and before we jump into uh, game snacks as a product specifically, because I loved exploring it. I was reading about it before we got on this call. Um, so you were a PM at Google for four years, right? So like, I mean, you did the APM program, which is uh, for all our viewers, it's the Associate Product Manager program, which is again, a really competitive uh, sort of niche program for people to get into where you had a team virtually, um, a product team, and, and you sort of like drive, um, you know, uh, drive the wheel in that sense. Um, so what led you to sort of like go out of that? I mean, you were well settled, you know, you were making consistent progress and then just drop out of it. And then I think Area 120 is, is a Google initiative so like what led you to go through that entire process and actually find game snacks um you know like four years later yeah i mean i can i can start from the top so uh you know, even before i joined google and um joined this part of the apm program i uh i went to school at duke um where i graduated in 2014 um with a degree in uh, electrical engineering and computer science but i didn't enter duke uh why do that i entered wanting to to be a doctor uh, like many people who go to do oh well wow. and so what i did I actually study biology and biomedical engineering and it was kind of more involved with that world but very um kind of fortuitously while i was in school i got involved with uh building a pregnancy nutrition app called my two bites uh wow. it turns out that uh, you know when when uh women are going through pregnancy their their bodies are obviously changing in so many ways and their nutritional needs are quite different from what sort of a standard uh, healthy adult um, who's not pregnant uh, might need to eat. But a lot of doctors uh, don't know enough. Uh, a lot of OBGYNs don't know enough about um, sort of specifically maternal nutrition to give them targeted advice. And so I found out about this problem and, and uh, got involved with sort of building an app to help help pregnant women eat healthier, um, which in hindsight was kind of a crazy thing for three college age guys to be working on, uh, you know. <laughs> A lot of lessons to be learned from that, but uh, it was a fascinating experience nonetheless. Um, long story short is, is the business uh, did not go anywhere. Uh, it didn't get a lot of traction, uh, but it was an amazing learning experience. And it was kind of my first foray into the, into the tech world and into specifically the process of building, building a product, a software product. Uh -huh. And frankly, I loved it. Um, I love the entire uh, journey of coming up with an idea, talking to customers about it. Uh, building it, launching it, and then getting feedback and iterating um, all in a matter of, you know, weeks, days even, uh, wow. much faster than I was used to uh, working in a, in a biology research lab. Uh, and so it was really that thrill of kind of new product development uh, that is what pulled me into the tech industry to begin with. Um, from that, I sort of got involved with a few different entrepreneurship efforts at Duke and um, ultimately wanted to go go get a job in the tech industry. Um, and that's what led me to, to the APM program. But uh, all of it started with kind of this desire to, to build new products. And so uh, that had always kind of been on my mind, um, even once once I joined Google. Uh, and ultimately, it's kind of what led me to, to want to try and build my own thing um, at Area 120. 
That's awesome. Um, I mean, what an arc that you painted right here. Uh, it's amazing, um, especially the fact that actually, again, before we jump into game snacks, I want to touch upon and, and just hear your thoughts on this. So a few days ago, I was talking with a friend of mine who who is like madly into VCs, right? So he works with Contrary Capital. He's had a few successful startups and he's a junior at Duke. So he we were talking about gap semesters slash gap years, right? And and the value that that provides in, in sort of like today's day and age where you have so many ideas that you were want to work on everyone inherently has some entrepreneurial proclivities that they want to foster um what, do you think that that is like that should be a part of of any college experience like you know how we're always pushed into this conventional job slash professional path where we're always meant to just be looking at you know what's what's the next available job here's the recruiting process you know go for coffee chats and then you just follow that step and ladder uh, and move from there but do you think that it is time that, I mean, that, and, and especially given that there's an insurgence of startups now, um, that we should have like within the education curriculum, this sort of a built-in exposure um, to entrepreneurship and, and something that if you're interested in, you can take time off, uh, work on it and not worry about any strings attached to that process. Like, what do you think about that aspect? Because you worked on your project while going to school, right? So you have to manage a lot. Vis-a-vis, if you had, time to work on it like without thinking about school at all how would that have panned out so just wanted to know your thoughts about it yeah and I was actually I remember debating with uh, my co-founders about whether or not we should have taken a gap semester to work on my two bites and um, one of them did uh, but I decided not to because I was, was worried about taking the risk and how mm. it would appear to other people um, I mean I think uh, you know in now in 2021 compared to 2012 back then when I was working on it, entrepreneurship is only bigger. Um, startups are not really a niche thing anymore. The tech industry is not a niche thing. Mm -hmm. um, I heard the other day that uh, you know for folks under the age of 18, the number one job that they want to want to have when they're older uh, or even at that age is, is to be a YouTube creator, uh, which I view as a form well. of entrepreneurship. You know. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship is definitely, uh, definitely having a moment uh, right now. Uh, and I think a lot of that is enabled by the internet. You know, it democratizes opportunity and lowers the cost of starting a business. And, um, and really all you need, I think, other than capital is, uh, which, which you don't need as much of now anymore as you used to, because uh, you, can, you can start a company with just an internet connection and a laptop. Um, what right. you need is time. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think an amazing thing that that um, you know institutions like colleges can do for folks who are, who are earlier in their lives is make it socially permissible to take time off to uh, to, to tinker on an idea. Um, I think that's the biggest reason why people don't do it is because they're worried about you know the, the perception uh, of of having sort of a a year with with no clear explanation for what they did during that year on their resume, right. um, which is a social thing. You know, it's a cultural thing more than anything else. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I do get excited by what, what it would look like if we made it even more socially acceptable um, for folks to take time off to, uh, to start new things. And, and college is an amazing time to do it. You know, you don't have any responsibilities. Um, you're able to kind of fully invest in yourself and your education. Uh, and I think, I think building something that uh, other people use are, are one of the best ways to truly learn. 
and and that is i mean an amazing point made right there uh, i was also thinking about it like i mean you know just like us having this conversation as well um it's like i think people are not provided with those opportunities so that they can even understand that okay this is really valuable and important to me uh, even if i like it like someone like me i always find that i'm struggling with getting more time to work on projects that i really like and then sort of like it's an opportunity cost right because when you're in college you're sort of like using that time for other things which according to you might not matter as much to you as working on your own project will because as you said when you were working on my two bites um and i'm sorry that that's the name of this startup that you worked on right my my two bites that's right Perfect. So like when you were working on it, you said that, you know, in a matter of weeks and days, you learn more than you could have ever learned um, as opposed to like, you know, just pursuing a general education curriculum. So I think that's really important. And also the fact that so I was listening to this um, talk earlier, so it's given by Paul Graham, uh, the founder of YC. So it's a really popular talk. I think it's, um, you must be aware of it. It's called How to Start a Startup. And in that he does mention this, that for college students, uh, a, there's less strings attached because you think you have a lot to lose, but you actually don't. And so the ability on the willingness to take risks should be much higher and your palate should be much expanded in that sense because you don't have a lot to lose upon if if things go haywire. Like, like for instance, let's say if my two bites didn't work out, it only served as a learning opportunity, but ultimately gave you, um, you know, PM at Google and then led you to find um, um, game snacks. And so I think all these experiences are super valuable and thanks a lot for, for advocating for that. Uh, I think everyone who's listening to this uh, will also um, uh, hope, I hope that they appreciate it. Um, uh, great. So I think now jumping into game snacks, um, Tony, if you can just, um, you know, give me a brief about what the product is and um, what's, what's area 120. I think not many people know about it. Um, so just, just wanted to know um, what you think about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Game Snacks is a new gaming platform um, that uh, helps people discover and play bite-sized casual games uh, without having to install anything. Uh, and so if you sort of think about what's happening overall in the digital media landscape right now, like uh, when you look at sort of movies and, and music and you know, forms of media like that, uh, we've moved to a, from away from a world where people go and seek out like specific songs or specific movies that mm -hmm. they, uh, they buy to, you know, streaming services like Netflix and Spotify where they can consume stuff on demand um, without having to install anything on any device. Uh, but uh, that hasn't actually happened yet in gaming. Um, when people think about uh, games to play, uh, they primarily think about consoles, um, uh, you know, like an Xbox or a PlayStation or they think about going to the app stores to um, find new games to play and then install them. Uh, but there's still kind of friction to, to actually going and playing games. But um, what we're trying to do with GameStacks is make it really easy for folks who are more casual gamers to quickly jump in and start playing um, without having to install anything. Um, and uh, it's all enabled by amazing improvements to the web uh, over the last kind of three or four years in particular that now make it possible uh -huh. to build high quality games that are directly playable from the web browser um and wow. so uh that's what we built um a web gaming platform that hopefully lowers the barrier to, to more people being able to play that's awesome and and fascinating and yeah that there was an impending sort of gap um in the gaming industry uh, as you know just like talking as a prospective you know customer right i don't know anything about like pc gaming or like you know like my my roommate here at duke he plays league of legends regularly and i still don't know what that is and so i really need my sort of like like you know smoother sort of an introduction to what this field looks like and i think this product really serves that um 
again, I remember, I think using, I don't know, do you, like, I'm sure you must be aware of like, but like platforms like mini clip and like uh, the other sort of like online gaming platforms, like what is, what is your product's USP? Like, how does it sort of like differ from its competitors? And that, you know, that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, web gaming is not new, right? It's existed since uh, since the desktop era days with products like MiniClip, like you're talking about, um, that were really popular in. Um, a lot of those games were built using Flash technology, um, which made it possible, you know, to make these awesome kind of animated uh, animated interactive pieces of content like games. But ever since mobile took off uh, ten years ago, you know, 2010. Um, once the iPhones and Android devices started getting ubiquitous around the world, um, Flash actually started declining uh, because Flash doesn't work on mobile. Uh, and so we've actually kind of reached a, a state of the world right now where for most people around the world, especially in um, continents like Asia and Africa and Latin America, uh, the only computer that they have is actually their phone. Um, it's, yes. not, it's not a laptop, it's not a desktop device. And so this whole notion of web gaming, uh, which, to, to your point, you know, has existed for a while in the West is, is simply an unknown thing for, for most kind of relatively new internet users. Mm -hmm. And the only kind of gaming landscape that they're really aware of is app-based gaming. Um, and so uh, when we started building GameStacks, we were actually specifically trying to cater to an emerging markets audience. So uh, most of our initial users came actually from India and Indonesia, Nigeria and Kenya. Um, where users are uh, on sort of lower memory devices right. uh, and on flakier networks. So they might be kind of on 2G or 3G networks mm -hmm. where games that you install from the App Store and the Play Store don't, don't work as well. And so uh, a big part of our insight was in order to be able to serve these users, um, we needed to, to do so in a way that was different from going through the App Stores. And that's where, that's where sort of a web-based approach came in. It turns out that by catering to those users and, and really focusing the product initially on that user base, we had also ended up building a product that was very valuable to folks in, in the US and the Western world as well, uh, for a different wow. reason, for the fact that they were casual. Uh -huh. but, uh, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the initial, uh, initial idea. That's awesome. Uh, and actually the fact that you targeted the, you know, like, like the hard truth that in, in like developing sort of emerging economies with like, you know, overpopulation and all of that, uh, sometimes like the network coverage isn't as strong. And so you need to sort of like still maintain that association with the product that you use. And I think that's where the whole bite-sized gaming idea came about, right? Like that, that is the reason you, you made those. Yep. That's, that's absolutely right. There are actually, I mean, I, we can get into this, but when we were initially funded by Area 120, uh, it wasn't even to build GameStacks, actually. It was to build something completely different in gaming. And wow. it was a very kind of circuitous journey that even led us to GameStacks. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, and actually, right, because you mentioned uh, Area 120, could you just speak a little more about like what, what it is? And I mean, Google has, you know, an insane number of projects. I've heard of like Project X and like um, this as well. But I think it's not as commonly known. So if you can just throw some light on that, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Area 120 is kind of an early stage incubator for, for new products at Google. Uh, and the goal of it is to, uh, is to fund new products that could eventually become, you know, major, major new businesses for Google. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's open to folks who want to start a new product, um, uh, you know, at Google or, or, you know, for a while it was even open to folks who, who weren't previously Google employees, just founders looking for an alternate place to, to start a business. 
Um, and there's there's kind of a funding process where you apply with an idea and give a pitch of what it is that you're trying to build. And if you get funded, um, you get to work on it full time. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of combining the best of being able to start a company, um, you know, full full autonomy over the product that you want to build, how you want to distribute it, the team that you want to hire, a lot of that stuff, while still having uh, amazing kind of resources and backing uh, from Google. Um, so being able to sort of tap into Google technologies, being able to tap into Google distribution channels, uh, being able to sort of hire and work with uh, amazing talent from across the company. Uh, it's a really unique place to, to start a new business. That's awesome. Uh, so it's, it's sort of a, like an incubator within Google that promotes like the um, new startups and something that, you know, um, and Google can support as a company. Um, here's a, I mean, not maybe a caveat, but like just a follow-up question that I had regarding that. So um, I think I've heard, I saw this past summer I was working with Cisco and Cisco also started something like that when they're sort of like, you know, promoting new startups and they have their own incubator. And I think a lot of like big tech firms are doing this because uh, there's a lot of spinoffs that come out of these, you know, incubators and then like these big tech companies invest in it. And I think a lot of banks are doing that as well. Um, now, when you have a successful company, let's say like something like Game Snacks, right? Um, how open is Google to allow you to sort of like spin that off into your own thing as opposed to keeping it under the banner of Google slash Area 120? Like how, how how fluid is that process? Like, because contrary to what some might some people might think, it might be like less or more, you know, sort of like tough to, to get that process sorted out. So just wanted to know about that. <clears throat> yep, yep, yep. You're right that, yeah, I mean, the idea of a corporate incubator is, is not new either. And it goes all the way back to kind of Bell Labs, you know, from AT&T that right. ended up, I think, transistor so so it's definitely been a, a big part of uh, silicon valley animation i'd say one thing that just sets the area totally apart just a quick note is there's an opportunity to actually launch products pretty quickly to uh external customers under a separate brand like outside of using the google brand which just okay. allows these, these products to take on risk uh that uh you know the core, core google might not be able to uh, like you know investing in a web gaming platform which Maybe, maybe core Google wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to do that um, when we started working on it. Um, but to your, to your question about kind of what happens to the successful area 20 teams, the path is to eventually get spun in back into Google and to become a fully supported kind of Google product that's able to get more resourcing, it's able to leverage the Google brand, uh, and is able to you know, be, a, be a new, uh, hopefully, billion dollar business for Google. Like that's the goal. That's amazing. So like, it's essentially like something that's like, it's, you know, like closing the loop in a really interesting format, like something that spun off of like, just like area 120 at Google. And then you want to like close that loop by coming back to Google with a product that's more successful. And obviously with Google's resources can target a much larger sort of like consumer base. Uh, right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Google and all sorts of big companies and just big institutions in general struggle with is how do you, how do you innovate? You know, there's, there's a whole phrase for it, the innovator's dilemma kind of the right. trade-off between continuing to make improvements to your core business, which is, you know, working really well and, and de-risked. And, you know, in Google's case, that search and advertising, and obviously it's, it's such an amazing business, but uh, you need to also constantly trade that off with being able to sort of invest in the future and thinking about kind of what's what's coming up next and what's ahead. And right. it can be structurally very difficult for, for large companies to do that. And that's that's sort of the, where the desire to even build a corporate incubator comes from. And I think What's, what's neat about Area 120 is, is they, they do a good job of separating Area 120 from sort of the rest of, of core Google and let teams operate pretty autonomously. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And, and so I think that gives you your own little bubble to sort of like, I mean, it's all little in a way, but like it, it's still a bubble when, when there's like, you know, endless creativity, there's disruptive innovation, there's no sort of like incumbent, this need of serving the current consumer base. Um, that's awesome. Um, I was actually recalling another experience that I recently had. So one of my friends, um, um, like friend doesn't like he, he mentors me. Um, so he um, is a part of this company called Simon Markets, uh, which just like you, you know, like your story with Google, they spun off of Goldman. Um, and I think just another example of how corporate incubators work. And so Goldman um, is now like has a majority stake in that company and they're like a financial product slash services company. They're sort of like completely digitizing, digitizing and gamifying that space. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting space to work with. Not a lot of people know about it, but I think I definitely provide a lot of merit to this process because A, you not only have like your own space to work for, but B, you know that at the end of the day, you're being funded by a company that you can, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> definitely come back to um in like a certain period of time like once the product is more successful uh to the current user base you know um that's awesome um yeah, yeah. yeah. um and that, and I, that personally resonates a lot too because you know when i started like i said I, I wanted to i wanted to start a company i wanted to start a business but back when i started working on uh on this in 2018 i didn't necessarily feel comfortable taking the kind of financial and psychological risk that you need to take in order right. to start start a new new startup from scratch. Uh, and so, um, Area One Twenty definitely provided uh, provided another path, which is which is really helpful for me at the time. Wow. Yeah. And so, like that, there goes another tip. Like, if you don't have if you don't always have like the best VC funding or if you don't have the best people to back you off of, uh, always think about corporate incubators because they can also go a long way um, in, in making a product work well. Um, and that's, ama that's an amazing take from your journey. Finally, actually, before we wrap up the conversation, Ani, I also saw that you, you know, you're an on-deck fellow. Um, and so you, that's your sort of like uh, liaison with the VC space. Um, a little bit about that, like what got you into VC and like what, how's, how's being an angel investor? Like, how does that look like for your profile and just like for your personal interests uh, in general? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've gone through the zero to one product journey. I may, I gave a really neat, clean kind of maybe characterization of game stacks, but it was by, by no means kind of easy feat to get there. Um, when we initially right. got funded, um, it was to build uh, something very different. It was to build a daily game show <laughs> with oh. game changing every day. Uh, so that's what, you know, that's what myself and my co-founder got funded for. Um, and we spent a few months working on that and, uh, didn't really get a lot of traction with that uh, and pivoted from that into building a way for YouTube creators and Twitch streamers to be able to play games live with their audience. Um, you know, we always had this crazy idea of what it would look like if someone like Ellen DeGeneres were playing like Flappy Bird with their whole audience live over YouTube. Okay. Anyway, we spent 2019 kind of working on that and um, got some traction, but couldn't really figure out a business model around it. And we're, we're trying to figure out where to take it next uh, until one day we discovered that there are a bunch of people from India, um, you know, on our website playing our games, nothing to do with YouTube creators, nothing to do with the game show, but it, we had real sort of organic uh, usage and, and retention. That's what kind wow. of gave us the insight to, to pursue GameStack. So, so, you know, it was a year and a half of sort of searching for product market fit before, uh, before getting, getting to something that was working with GameStack. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since, since those days, but I, I loved it. Um, and I loved that whole sort of process of going from zero to one. Uh, and I was uh -huh. finding myself, you know, uh, once GameSnack was, was, was scaling, kind of missing that in some ways and, and wanting to get closer to that. 
So that's what motivated me to kind of start working with startups um, initially in an advisory capacity, but then as an angel investor, um, really in all things consumer. I love consumer products. Um, I love things that, uh, you know, really, really help make everyday people's lives healthier, wealthier, more fun. Um, and uh, I'm just naturally kind of drawn to consumer startups. So started investing in a bunch of consumer companies uh, back in early 2020. Um, and then once the pandemic hit, uh, you know, it obviously became difficult to meet people and to, to build community. And so I found myself, uh, you know, wanting to meet other kind of consumer angel investors uh -huh. um, and discovered the On Deck uh, Angel Fellowship, which is, uh, you know, a community uh, that allows, uh, you know, angel investors to come together and, and share tips on how they find startups, um, what their different investor methodologies are, and, and sharing ways that they support their portfolio companies. Um, and it's been an awesome experience, especially during the pandemic, where uh, I think we've all been forced to figure out how to find community and, and meet people yes. online. Yes. Um, yes. I've been uh, I've been kind of blown away by by the, the quality and the strength of of the on that community. Wow, that is uh, that is fascinating, especially like I think your, your journey is so interesting. Like you, you have like two two parts balanced out. There's one side with like like a strong product sense and like just having a product with it with a great MVP, and on the other side, then you have like you know um, your own personal sort of like side passion with with uh, investing in startups through this VC fellowship, um, which is something that people should definitely consider as well. I myself got into it over the summer, and I think I'm realizing that you can interface with so many new ideas and just like emerging products that you will never feel old you know you always feel that you're keeping up with the latest trends in the industry and how you can just make your own little contribution to that impact um and i definitely recommend you know people to do that as well so that's amazing um right before we wrap up on we've talked a lot about your professional interest and i think it spans you know like quite a few fields and in industries um personally though um what what sort of like you know till date you know like you've been working on these products for like a few years um, what's that personal anchor that even like every morning when you wake up and you're like, okay, hey, today, this is the goal that I want to reach, you know, like what's that personal drive or ambition that really shapes your, um, shapes your goals, not only professionally, but also personally, like just wanted to know about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I mean, more than anything, I just consider myself so ridiculously lucky. Um, I mean, especially, you know, this year, during the pandemic, um, like I'm, I'm so grateful. I have, uh, you know, a remote friendly job, um, a job that lets me sort of travel easily. I'm actually taking this call from, from Washington DC, uh, which is where I grew up. So I get to spend time with family, um, and, uh, you know, get to get to do so while, while pursuing sort of my, my hobbies and my interests in tech. So I think one thing that I try to remind myself is, you know, I'm so fortunate and can be guided by, by values, just like curiosity. Uh -huh. But that's, that's definitely one thing that drives me a lot is just, I'm, I'm just trying to learn, you know, I think the world is a crazy place and is getting crazier at a faster rate. Thanks to technology. Yeah. Um, yes. which is both great. And also, uh, you know, also obviously it has a bunch of negative consequences, but I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by just the future and how, how technology shapes it. And so that's one thing. Uh, but then I'd say the second thing is uh, I've become sort of increasingly uh, interested in, in kind of the media industry more broadly. And that's kind of a unifying theme of a bunch of the stuff that I work on, like gaming is a form of media, a bunch of consumer startups that I, that I invest in are in media. And I think media is, is somewhat of, even though it's pervasive, and obviously a lot of us interface with it all day, every day through social media and the news and so on. 
I think it really shapes the way we think. Um, and a lot of what we end up sort of acting on and, and doing with our lives is ultimately shaped by the media. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about how can we sort of reform media um, and, and use media to propagate more optimistic visions of the future um, uh -huh. so that people are, uh, you know, uh, motivated to, to make the world better rather than, uh, rather than caught up in, uh, in dystopian thinking. Yes. Um, I, I think amazing takeaway is there. like definitely um, like, like the influx of like, you know, media usage content and platforms in our lives and like how that drives uh, what we do as well. And obviously I think the inherent curiosity, that's a common denominator that all of us share that we should consider luxury because that's what separates us from so many other species who are not so intelligent. And I think makes us, you know, go on and on every day. Um, that's awesome. But well, thanks a lot for taking out the time to do this, honey. Um, and you guys stay tuned uh, for the next episode um, of the NP podcast. Cool. Thank you, Naman. This was awesome.